This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Aaron Brock. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this podcast, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with current Director of Sports Medicine and Performance for the USA Men's Volleyball Team, Aaron Brock. And also along with that, there, there comes some stretching uh, ideas that help prevent injuries, uh, you know, a series of different exercises that aren't necessarily meant for strength, but they're meant for joint mobility. I believe that that's really helpful. Um, so from a strength training, stretching, just that physical preparation side of things, I think uh, young athletes could really do uh, themselves uh, a favor by, um, you know, thinking about that real seriously. Aaron discusses the importance of warm-up and cool-down routines when playing sports at any level. He provides valuable insight for coaches and parents, including advice on how trainers can help injured athletes still feel part of the team. Aaron, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Aaron Brock is the Director of Sports Medicine and Performance for the USA Men's Volleyball Team. Since 2006, he has been the full-time certified athletic trainer for the men's national team headquartered at the American Sports Centers in Anaheim, California. During his time with the men's volleyball team, he traveled to the 2008 Beijing Olympics, where the team came home with a gold medal. He recently returned from the London Games where the team won their pool but lost to Italy in the quarterfinals. Before joining the USA men's volleyball team, Aaron worked with the U.S. water polo team, professional football and basketball teams, and college and high school teams. Aaron lives in Southern California with his wife, two sons, and one daughter. Aaron, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. So, Aaron, I've read that you actually played four high school sports uh, while you were growing up in Storm Lake, Iowa, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, you know, I grew up in a, a fairly small town of 10,000 people, and I think if you were a reasonable athlete, uh, you know, you were, um, I don't know, kind of expected, and in, in you, I guess, had an interest also in, in playing as many sports as you could. So I went through the whole year without uh, any off season so to speak and so i went from football in the fall <clears throat> to basketball in the winter and then we uh ran track and field in the spring and played baseball in the summer so um you know looking back on it i don't i don't regret a single a single minute of that time i spent in any of those sports some i was uh maybe a little bit better at some of them than others but um it was uh both a a personal um you know growth opportunity for me and and it was just a lot of fun do you think that um, as many kids today would be making that same choice to still be playing four different sports at the high school level, or do you think we're seeing a move more toward an earlier specialization? It certainly seems like there's a move towards earlier specialization, especially in the larger areas. Uh, for example, out here in, in Southern California, the higher population areas, uh, you know, I think the access to some of these um, year-round in, in, uh, in volleyball, and I'm sure it is in other sports as well, uh, year-round opportunities to play. And when we were young, when I was young growing up, 
in Iowa, you know, once football ended, that was it. There was mm-hmm. no football to be played once basketball ended. That was it. There was no mm-hmm. basketball to be played. We're out here. There's there's club uh, club seasons that go you know, for a long period of time mixed in with high school athletes. You can play one sport nearly year-round, and I think because of those opportunities, you are seeing some people, uh, some kids who very well could, could excel at multiple sports, uh, selecting maybe one or two sports early on. So I definitely think that that's a trend, at least in the larger metropolitan areas and, and perhaps in the smaller rural areas, it's still uh, the case where, where kids are, are playing several sports. Yeah, yeah. So so you've had the opportunity to actually build your career around sports medicine. And I'm curious, when did you get the first idea that you were interested in that area? And, and was it all the way back when you were in high school or did it happen later? Yeah, it actually was in high school. I, I uh, was fortunate enough to take a course in high school that uh, kind of prepped you for, for the future in a lot of different ways. And one of the primary ways it prepped you was uh, to at least think about what would be some potentially fulfilling and rewarding careers. And so that's where I started uh, kind of thinking about what I'd, what I'd want to do. And I was able to spend some good time with a local physical therapist in our hometown. And uh, they had an athletic trainer on staff that would help out at uh, the different um, you know, high school sports that we had. And going into college, you know, it's changed a little bit, the athletic training education programs. Uh, nowadays, you have to go to a specific school that has an athletic training curriculum. You have to apply mm. to get into the program and mm. go through a, a fairly rigid um, curriculum mm-hmm. to become a certified athletic trainer. And, and uh, I, I knew I wanted to, to do the athletic training for undergraduate, but I had planned on physical therapy school after mm-hmm. uh, undergraduate athletic training. And ended up deciding that the physical therapy um, arena was not uh, where I wanted to be. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's a fulfilling uh, profession. Um, It's just, for me, being in an office, working with the uh, patient population that oftentimes comes Mm -hmm. through the door, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it it just wasn't um, what I ended up, uh, I don't know, seeing as being the best option for me. So I wanted to stick with the more athletic, uh, active group of people, and and Mm -hmm. so I went to grad school uh, for an exercise science master's degree instead of physical therapy school. But yeah, it, st- it started all the way back in high school. And then once I got into the, to the education side of things uh, in college and spent some time with teams in college, it just reinforced uh, my decision to, to go into that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm curious, you know, right now you're working full-time with the USA men's volleyball team, and I'm sure a lot of people sort of wonder, what's your typical work day look like? Um, so I was hoping you could just sort of talk us through, like, what does a typical practice day look like, and what does a typical game day look like? Sure, yeah, I think, uh, you know, a typical practice day is... Um, you know, there's a lot of prep time on the front end uh, to make sure all the athletes have what they need from a rehab standpoint and, a, you know, an injury prevention standpoint, some uh, corrective exercises that we've put into play. So there's a lot of prep time on drawing up and creating uh, prescribed rehabilitative programs. And so that kind of happens maybe in the, the few administrative hours uh, throughout the day. But primarily we're starting at 8 o'clock with the athletes coming in, getting ready for practice, and that might mean um, you know, a variety of warm-up exercises, stretches. Uh, we do a lot of manual therapy, so we use our hands quite a bit uh, in, in uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, prep the athletes for practice. We do a lot of taping and padding and bracing and 
Uh, you know, we're also intimately involved with the nutritional program here. Mm-hmm. So we, um, you know, prep some, some food and some, some drink for the athletes to uh, stay hydrated and, and, and keep their nutrient content up throughout practice. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of prep work in the morning. And then during practice, um, one of two things, and usually a little combo of both, I usually have a couple athletes that aren't practicing because they're injured, hopefully not too many of those, and, mm-hmm. and uh, every once in a while, zero, which is always a good sign. But when they're at practice, uh, when everyone else is at practice, it's a good time for me to spend some time with the athletes that are injured. So I'll be doing some rehabilitation, some treatments uh, while the team is practicing, and then also I'll be out at practice. Oftentimes in volleyball, you have athletes who are, um, you know, they're not injured to the point where they're out, but they're injured to the point where they're, um, you know, I, I want to monitor them, you know, on the court. They're, they're practicing, they're training. I want to make sure that they uh, aren't um, doing things they shouldn't be doing or mm-hmm. compensating for different movements when, when there's uh, an injury. And, and uh, that way I can watch everybody play and see how they're doing. So uh, during practice, it's a combo of working with uh, injured athletes and out there at practice ready if anything goes wrong and to monitor. And then uh, after practice, we uh, either get into some strength and conditioning um, or and into some uh, treatment rehab programs for the people that are injured, injury prevention programs for the people that aren't injured, uh, hopefully keeping them that way. Uh, so it's a combination of, um, you know, working together after practice is a combination of working together with our strength coaches, working together with our, our medical team. We have a, a multidisciplinary group in place here. I have a massage therapy team. I have a team chiropractor. we got team doctors, uh, team PTs that we refer out to, and then ourselves do a lot of the medical mm-hmm. day-to-day work as well. So essentially coordinating all of our efforts, trying to uh, keep everybody healthy or get everybody healthy. So all those people who were sort of thinking about uh, sports medicine for a career and thought they could roll in right before practice and leave right after practice, you've just uh, disabused them of that notion. Yeah, that's not going to happen, at least um, <laughs> at this level where the expectations are high and, and this is the athlete's career, this is their livelihood, this is uh, you know what they're doing for a living. And, and so it's not just a game where they're going to just uh, you know kind of go through the motions. They're doing everything that they can to be mm-hmm. as good as they can be. Therefore, I need to do everything I can to uh, help them achieve that. And, uh, and then also I need to be as good as I can be. I, I kind of... Uh, think that if I'm working with some of the best athletes in the world, I probably better be one of the best athletic trainers in the world. So um, that comes with, uh, I don't know, a lot of responsibility, you know, and um, in order to, I think, um, you know, make the most of that responsibility, it takes a lot of work. So yeah, yeah, I love that attitude. So just um, getting back, what are the biggest differences between a practice day and a game day for you? Yeah, the game days, um, typically, we are not playing here at home we're usually mm-hmm. on the road and so we don't get the friendly confines of our own training center and, and mm-hmm. those kinds of things but uh, um, usually what we'll do is we'll uh, you know get up and, and um, get into the gym for what we call a serving pass so some some of the athletes will serve some balls the other guys will, will pass and we'll just break a sweat kind of loosen up and get going um, we'll go back and, and have a meal uh, work around a treatment, doing any kind of therapy that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, usually there is a couple hour window in the afternoon for, for me to, to, you know, do whatever I need to do. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, six or so o'clock, we'll start out on the court for the competition. So mm-hmm. uh, usually it's an evening competition. 
So it's a combination of treatments and therapy along with an early morning practice and then uh, game time. And then how late are you usually working post-game? Usually we, you know, let's say we finish the game at 9.30, you know, everybody shower and we do some treatments at the arena. We're hopefully back at the hotel by 10.30, uh, eat, eat a little bit. Um, and then depending on the severity of injuries I got going on, uh, right. usually around midnight, I'm usually wrapping up. Wow. Okay. Um, well, th- that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm curious now, a lot of our listeners, our responsible sports listeners are youth coaches or parents. And obviously one of their biggest goals is keeping their kids healthy while they're playing competitive sports. So if you could give them, you know, two or three main tips to keep their kids healthy in competitive sports, what would those tips be? Well, I think a couple come to mind right away. Um, one is, you know, the idea of strength training uh, and kind of an injury prevention theme through exercise. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a broad conversation. But to have a um, comprehensive strength training program in place now, you know, that means different things for different ages of people. I'm not suggesting that the 12-year-olds are, you know, getting under a squat rack with 400 <laughs> pounds, but they're, they're still, even if they're 12, they're still, even if it's just body weight exercises, there's still, I believe, a, a big opportunity to help prevent injuries by establishing a nice strength base uh, in the younger athletes. And that doesn't even require moving a ton of weight. That just requires, you know, um, I don't know, getting connected with someone who can help put together a comprehensive, uh, you know, conservative, safe training plan. I think that has huge ramifications for, uh, you know, keeping the body strong and preventing injury. Um, you know, and also along with that, there, there comes some stretching uh, ideas that help prevent injuries. Uh, you know, a series of different exercises that aren't necessarily meant for strength, but they're meant for joint mobility. I believe that that's really helpful. Um, so from a strength training, stretching, just that physical preparation side of things, I think uh, young athletes could really do uh, themselves uh, a favor by, um, you know, thinking about that real seriously. The nutritional side of things can be, can be huge as well. So that would probably mm-hmm. be number two for me, the physical prep uh, and then also the nutrition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, there takes some, some education and, and some effort to figure out uh, what to eat, what not to eat, and how to work that all into your training. But I've seen huge, um, you know, injury prevention uh, and just performance gains by having a, a good uh, nutritional base. So those are probably the top mm-hmm. two things. And, and the third thing would be monitoring volume and and i've Mm. talked about some of the year-round stuff and Mm -hmm. and it's uh fun and maybe you can specialize and get real good but you know there needs to be ample ample time of uh non-playing otherwise you're just asking for overuse chronic injuries yep yep so sort of with a similar theme um at what age do you think responsible sport coaches should start instituting like structured warm-ups and structured cool downs or or post-practice stretching yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think, you know, and, and you probably said it best there, you know, when I say strength training, I could just mean a 15-minute body weight warm-up. What some people call warm-ups, you know, other people might call strength training, uh, you know. So I think that even at the age of, of early teen to 12 and 14 years old, 
and you know there's no reason why they couldn't go through a nice structured um you know moderately rigorous warm-up and then certainly afterwards i am an advocate of uh you know a, a stretching session after um after training and again i think that can start as early as as 10 and 12 years old too there's there's uh, nothing in the literature or the research that would suggest, um, you know, 10-year-old kids stretching after practice is going to be anything but helpful. Yeah, I really like that part of your answer talking about your six-year-old where even if they're not physiologically maybe benefiting, just psychologically learning that warm-ups and cool-downs are part of practice and that you're instituting that routine from, you know, they'll never remember a time where they weren't warming up and cooling down. Exactly, and that'll change over time. What he's doing for a warm-up at six is going to be way different than what he's doing for a warm-up if he's 26 playing on the national team here. So, you know, but it's a warm-up, and in his mind, he warms up before he does something and and although that'll change what that means at least it's ingrained so so a lot of the athletes that i talk with have experienced injuries and i think it's one of their the hardest things they've had to cope with as an athlete and i'm curious if you have some tips for them about um how to keep feeling like they're part of the team even when they're not able to physically participate yeah and that is and that is a a difficult part when you talk about the psychology of injury it's uh a very real thing and mm-hmm. um, not to be taken lightly and uh, what I try to do as an athlete trainer I can I can help uh, you know facilitate the athlete feeling a part of the team by making sure that I'm structuring um, you know some of the activities to where they're around their teammates and even if even if you don't have an athlete trainer to help kind of direct that you yourself can can be at practice doing whatever you can to to be involved and a lot of times with volleyball that means the athlete is either out on the side of the court riding a bike you know just watching at least their teammates can see them there and Mm -hmm. vice versa the injured athlete sees the team and and kind of feels a part of it as much as they can Um, you know I'll even do some of my rehab out by the court you know if we got you know some some stretching to do you know we'll pull out a mat and we'll go out on the court you know near where the team's playing and stretch um, so, uh, you know, I think the whole out of sight, out of mind thing definitely pertains. So mm-hmm. just simply being around the team when mm-hmm. they're training, I think, I think that's a good thing. And, uh, and then the other thing I think is important is to stay active in the team dialogue, the team meetings, the team game plans. Now, obviously, if you're not playing, the coaches, you know, aren't going to probably involve you in any game planning or, you know, prep for the next uh, – the next uh, competition, but for you to at least be there, hear what the coaches are saying, and, and kind of just being there with your with your teammates. I think the physical being with your teammates is important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that tip for other athletic trainers who may feel like, oh, my space is like the training room, and you should meet me in the training room. The idea that certain things would be best done courtside or like right by the field, so that they can remain with the team. I think that's a really powerful takeaway. Um, so, so one of the things that I talked about in your introduction is how you were a part of, um, the gold medal winning team in Beijing and, you know, not everybody gets to be part of that kind of, that kind of team and that kind of success. So I'm hoping you could tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about that experience that you had at the 2008 Olympics. Yeah, sure. And I guess I find out, uh, found out about nine months ago that 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 it just doesn't go that way all the time right uh, go to london and we we start out great and then uh we lose the game you know that that you can't lose so that makes 
2008 performance even that more special. Um, but uh, but you're right, not everybody gets a chance to, to feel that. I think uh, the what was really gratifying, um, very rewarding, I guess, to to accomplish the end goal, which obviously doesn't happen very often. Everybody's trying to win a championship, is the four years of prep time that we had worked towards accomplishing that goal Mm -hmm. and just feeling like everything that you did, all the um, sacrifices you made, all of the commitments you had put forth, all all actually made a difference. And it's hard when it doesn't work out to keep that same perspective, even though I think I did as good a job and worked just as hard over the last four years and yeah. not meddling than I did in the four years leading up to Beijing and winning the gold. But it is hard to feel as rewarded when the outcome isn't what you'd want. I think, um, you know, that gold medal in Beijing was, was just, you know, real special. And, uh, you know, it um, had a connection with the athletes and the staff that, you know, will never, um, you know, will never be, Uh, forgotten. So I want to shift now to talk a little bit about um, what, you know, when we talk about the very best coaches in sports, we really think their impact goes way beyond the court, um, way beyond the field. So they're really preparing their teams to win, but also teaching bigger life lessons. So even after the athletes, you know, stop playing volleyball or stop playing soccer, they have those lessons they've learned from that coach. And I'm curious if you could reflect back on, um, you know, both, I guess, Alan Knipe, who is your, the former national team coach, um, and and now John uh, Spurra, the, the current coach. And what is it that they teach that you really feel like the players will take with them long after their USA volleyball careers have, have concluded? Yeah, that's a, that's a great topic that, that you touch on because, you know, I think – uh, of course, anybody that you come in contact with has the opportunity to, to um, you know, to be able to do this, uh, what you're saying, and especially coaches of athletic teams just because of the time you spend with uh, with the athletes and, um, you know, just the relationship there. And, and I, I honestly hope to do the same a little bit myself and, mm-hmm. and be able to, um, I don't know, let the athletes take away something from their interactions with me, not only making them healthy or getting them healthy, but you know, hopefully demonstrating, um, you know, good, good human qualities and hopefully mm-hmm. they can learn a little bit um, from me mm-hmm. as well and the staff that I have around here. I like to think that um, where we're um, helping them grow as a professional, we're actually helping them grow as a person as well, and that's a goal of mine. And uh, you certainly have seen that with the, the coaches that have been through here. I think Alan, you know, had his own style and his own personality, I think, um, you know what what you'll see uh, kind of carry on uh, from Alan is is uh, you know character as a human being you know I think one thing that was real impressive with Alan was was his ability to um, you know he, he has a couple uh, kids and a wife and his um, you know the way he was a dad and a mm. husband along with the coach was was just real impressive mm-hmm. and I know that's one thing that sticks with me um, you know mm-hmm. with, with Al is uh, you know, seeing that that human being outside of sport, and that's um, you know always mm-hmm. always I don't know nice to see and and uh, lets you see a different side of things other than your your coach in the gym every day. And um, with John, you know, we've we worked together quite a bit and looking forward to this next quad. And you know, when you spend as much time with someone as we do with the coaches, I mean, you see their character, and you know, nothing is going to probably be hidden, and you know, the true colors are going to shine, and uh, fortunately, 
what I found in the world of volleyball is that's a good thing because we got good people, I think, in general with this uh, sport and certainly with John. And uh, you, you'll see that shine through. And I just think that all those um, excellent character traits that uh, he exemplifies will will pass along to the athletes and they'll say, okay, I'm learning a lot about volleyball, but you know what, I'm going to hopefully learn a little bit about how to be a, a, a human being as well. That's great. That's great. Um, so I just have two more quick questions. Um, one, you know, you've been an athletic trainer for a number of different sports and a real variety of levels. And I'm curious uh, which of those experiences have been the most challenging and why do you consider them the most challenging? Yeah, I've, I've worked at a high school, a small college, a large college, and, uh, you know, spent some summers um, in the NFL and one season with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA and, and, you know, with some of the Olympic athletes. And so I've been fortunate enough to have a pretty good perspective on the, on the profession. And I think, for me, the most challenging environment was, was um, at least for my personality, was the high school. And mm. I say that because... My personality is is wanting to do a lot with the athletes and um, you know really spend some time with them and and, uh, and you know develop programs and, and treat uh, injuries and, and assess you know any kind of issues they have and there's just such large numbers and such little time that it was just not possible to do that. Also along those same lines, I was the head athletic trainer at North Central College out of Naperville. Um, suburb of Chicago, and it's a, just an awesome school. And it was just so much, um, you know, so many good people in in that program. And and I was uh, teaching some courses as well. But again, it's it's high volume of athletes mm-hmm. to a small number of medical staff. So um, I just felt like I could make a bigger impact if I just had, you know, the ability to spend more time with the athletes. So those that was probably the biggest challenge. Aaron, I want to thank you so much for taking the time with me today and just to share all of sort of your life lessons and your vision with our Responsible Sports listeners. I, I really think a lot of your ideas and your approach can help this audience. And um, thank you so much for taking this time with me today. My pleasure. Anytime. To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible Coaching Guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.